Today's sermon is going to be a little different than what we're used to. Um, I'm going to just tell you a story. Before I tell you a story, I'm going to read something to you from the Bible. And when we're finished, hopefully, what we read from the Bible is going to come to light uh, far more fully. So, without further ado, with no clever story or illustration for you, let's just get into the Gospel of John, which we're coming to a rapid conclusion of. Let's start... uh, In chapter 18, remember Jesus has gone through his interrogation after his arrest and betrayal. And at verse 38, Pilate says to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus, said, but Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was a day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, 
but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing, all that, what, knowing, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was a day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came, and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has bore witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. It's Jesus' crucifixion. Now, I sometimes um, look at Facebook. How the heck is he talking about Facebook after that? I've decided many times and had to refrain that to almost every post I see on Facebook, I could just write, so what? You know, I, I, I've slowly, um, there's this little tool you can use to, to not see the posts of people you really don't care to see. I, I have very few people's posts that come by. People write, went to lunch with my dad. So what? Kids woke up grumpy. So what? I don't write so what because I don't want to be defriended by any more people. But ultimately, so much of, of what people put out there, you just write so what, right? Now, that would be sacrilegious to say so what about Jesus dying on the cross, wouldn't it? So we don't ask. But so what? Isn't being a Christian about believing in Jesus, trusting in him, turning your life over to him? But the cross? Can I ask? So what? What's the big deal? Does it really matter? What I want to do is tell you a story. I want to ask you to use your imagination with me a little bit. And what I want to do is, is time travel. We're going to go back to the story. So what I want you to do is stop and imagine that you've gone back in time 2,000 years and you find yourself in a prison cell. You're below ground. It's dark. It's a stone prison cell. Floors, walls, ceiling, stone, almost pitch black. No natural light coming into this except for the tiniest spots. Hay, straw in a corner, two buckets squeaking noise of mice running around. And all of a sudden you hear shackles move. And you look over in the corner and 
and there's what looks like the shape of a person. And the shackles move some more, and two legs stick out. And a body gets up. He can't stand all the way up because the ceiling's not high enough, but he stands up as far as he can. And his hair is a mess, and his beard is disheveled, and he's grimy and dirty yet pasty white, just moaning. He doesn't speak. Oh. He tries to stretch his body as best he could. And we're standing in the cell looking at this man, and, and we look closer at him, and he looks scared to death. We don't understand what's going on. We don't understand who this is. Frankly, we don't know how we got here. We were at church two minutes ago. Now we're in a prison cell. And now our ears kick in. And we hear this horrible, angry, riotous noise coming into the cell. What is it? And we listen a little more closely. Crucify him! Crucify him! We hear. Where's it coming from? What is that noise? And we look back at the man, and he's shaking a little bit at this point. And what happens, we realize, is... This man is named Barabbas. And he's thinking, no one knows my name. You understand, Barabbas isn't the guy's birth name. Barabbas means son of a father. It's like John Doe. We don't know Barabbas' real name, but we see him in a cell, and Barabbas is shaking because he's been here a while. He doesn't know what's going on. He hears a crowd screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And right before that, he heard Pilate shout his name to the crowd. He heard... Shall I release Barabbas? And the crowd, all he hears is, Crucify him! Crucify him! The man's in the cell because he's an insurrectionist, a murderer and a robber. I'm put, what I'm doing is I'm putting all the Gospels together here. And he's shaking. He knows he's going to die. There's no hope left. And we're looking at him as he sits back down. And then footsteps. But not just two. You see, every day, two footsteps come down to his cell to change out the buckets and throw some food at him. But today, it's a lot of footsteps. The crowd's yelling. Pilate says his name. The footsteps are coming. And this man determined not to let people see his weakness. This enemy of Rome, an enemy of the Jews at the same time, determined not to let the guards see his weakness, tries to stand up, and his legs are shaking so severely he can't do it, and his insides are turning to liquid, and his breathing is just frantic. And all of a sudden he hears, Barabbas, get up. And the door to his cell opens, and we get off to the side as, as he gets himself to the entrance. And two of these big burly guards, laden down with weapons, rip him up and carry him by the arms out of the cell, and he can't see because there's light. There are flames on the torches casting light, and he can't take the change, and, and he's blurred vision, unable to see, and tears are streaming down his eyes because he knows where he's going. He's going to see the lictor, the man who will beat him to prepare him to die on the cross, which is where he knows he's going. And Barabbas knows what the cross is all about. You see, you and I think of execution done in a private, quiet, sanitary place. They inject you. You die painlessly because it would be inhumane. Well, that's not how the Romans worked. Execution was a public spectacle. They would beat you, mock you, torture you, and then put you up on a cross, either tying you with a rope or nailing you with seven-inch metal nails. And it could take over a week to die. He knew what would happen to an enemy of Rome, and he was one. And now he's being dragged out to be beaten and mocked and crucified in front of an angry crowd. They come up out from the subterranean passageways, and now he can't see a thing because actual sunlight has literally blinded his eyes and haven't seen it for days. And the next thing he realizes is he's thrown through the air, 
and he crashes on the ground and hears a metal gate smash shut behind him. And in his blindness and his tears, he hears two guards scream, get out of here, Barabbas, you're free. And as his vision comes back, he looks at the prison gate, which has been closed from the outside in, sitting in the filth of the road, shaking, not comprehending what just happened. <coughs> Barabbas, out of jail. Now we've come out with him and we're watching him in the road and all of a sudden he starts to hear that noise again. The crowd. It's just like a, a loud hum, almost like of bees, a swarm of bees. And, and he goes to see what's going on, not too close because he doesn't want people to know that he's out, but close enough to see what's happening. And, and he creeps through the relatively empty streets that should be packed for the Passover feast. He creeps over to the area of the crowd and he sees Pilate and this man standing next to him in a purple robe with a crown of thorns and blood pouring off of his face and the crowd mocking him. And he watches this man have the, the robe taken off, a crossbeam put across his back, and he follows from a distance as he carries a crossbeam up to Golgotha. He can't make it. He keeps stumbling and falling, so the soldiers have to have someone call, come out of the crowd and carry the crossbeam for him. And Barabbas follows from a distance. And when the man gets to Golgotha, Barabbas sits down and he sees a crossbeam laid down on the vertical post on the ground and he hears the horrendous sound of the nails and the metal hammer smashing them and the groans of pain from when they drive through the body. And when he watches the vertical beam elevated, he shudders because he sees not the man in the purple robe, but he sees himself on that cross. That cross was prepared for Barabbas. He knew he was going to die on that cross. And he sat down on the ground. He couldn't stand anymore. And for hours, he watched a man hang on a cross that was made for him. He was so focused on that cross, he didn't notice that the earth shook violently. He was so focused on that cross, he missed the fact that the, the world was darkened for three hours at high noon. He was so focused on that cross, he didn't hear people running around screaming that the curtain in the temple had been torn from top to bottom. Barabbas, sitting in the dirt, looking at the cross. Let's leave him with his thoughts for a moment. How about you? What do you see when you look at the cross? What do you think about when you look at the cross? What's the big so what? about the cross. That's something that most people struggle with. Some people like Jesus. They think he was a great teacher. Some people like to associate with Jesus. Some people try really hard to follow Jesus. But if we don't have the so what of the cross down, it's going to all be for naught. So what? Barabbas, an enemy of Rome, deserves to die. No one disputes that. You may not like the, the way the Romans structured their law, but the law was a law. An enemy of Rome, an insurrectionist, a robber, and a murderer faced crucifixion, plain and simple. People were crucified as a deterrent. Barabbas knew what he was getting into if he was caught. He would die. He was caught. He was in a prison cell, death row. He was going to die. It's called justice. It's fair punishment. You and I need to understand something. Barabbas didn't die because Jesus took his place, and that was a wonderful thing for Barabbas. 
But you and I are not enemies of Rome. We never were enemies of Rome. We were enemies of God. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? The fate that awaits an enemy of God. It's not that we were kind of neutral on God. It's not that we were kind of pro-God, but just not all in. We were enemies of God. We were Barabbas in a prison cell before God, spiritually separated from God for all of eternity, not awaiting crucifixion, but awaiting an eternity in hell. Have you ever stopped to chew on that? The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. James 4.4, where... Given a, we're given the distinction between friends of the world and friends of God. A friend of the world is an enemy of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin, you know what they are? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And while Jesus died on that cross for Barabbas, or in Barabbas' place, while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. But don't miss this. That prison cell that Barabbas sat in was far more disgusting than I could explain. The emotions that went through Barabbas' mind as he awaited his certain crucifixion, we can't really fathom. The pain and suffering and the humiliation of the cross, we have nothing to relate that to in our culture. As Barabbas was taken out and set free, the sheer inability to comprehend the sway from certain death to certain life would have just been mind-boggling to him. How could he comprehend? He was going to die, but now he will live. Why? What did he do? Who was this guy that went on the cross for him? Apart from Christ, you and I don't face a prison cell like that. We face an eternity separated from the grace, love, mercy of God and the perfect fellowship of God. Now, you can't come up with anything more horrendously horrible than that. If you can think about how great and awesome and wonderful heaven will be, hell's the exact opposite. You can't comprehend how wonderful heaven will be. You can't comprehend how horrendous hell is. And the choice is, we didn't have a choice is what I mean, the destination was going to be hell. We were condemned. We were enemies of God. We had sinned. A just and holy God must carry out his justice. And there we sat in our prison cell. And we live in a world of people playing in prison cells. And when we see nothing different, we kind of like our prison cells. We make the corner of straw cozy. We get used to the prison fare. We like the company of the people we're sitting with. We don't want to see the light from the outside. It might hurt our eyes. And we frolic and play in our cell, and we pretend we're not even in a cell. We think we're in paradise. If Barabbas went back to the prison, I don't think he'd climb back into his cell real cozy, but we'll talk about that in a moment. When Jesus approached his crucifixion, you'll know from reading all the gospel accounts, he approached it with some angst. Luke tells us that he sweat, blood, like he sweat with drops like blood there was blood possibly mixed in with his sweat from the stress he was under remember though a few weeks back I shared one of the disciples was crucified was up there for days and over those days proclaimed the gospel right so how do we have disciples who are, who are going up onto their cross without sweating blood and freaking out but Jesus just can't seem to hack this 
there were times where upwards of 500 people a day were crucified. This was not some uh, unique experience for Jesus. This was the most common way of execution in the empire. What happened? Did Jesus kind of wimp out at the end? Oh, it's going to hurt! No. You know what Jesus was struggling with? Do you know what Jesus didn't want to have to face? It wasn't the cup of the crucifixion. It was what would happen to him during the crucifixion. And you know what that was? His perfect fellowship with the Father was broken for a period of time. And that is what he struggled so much with having to accept. Now, if Jesus struggled with accepting that, even for a period of time, can you stop and chew on what it must be like to be separated from the perfect fellowship of the Father for all of eternity? You can't, can you? It is more horrendous than our minds can comprehend. But we don't have to live that way. That's the amazing thing. That's the so what about the cross. We live in a time when most people don't know so what, but nobody's going to ask you so what. There are certain questions that we're conditioned to not ask. I learned this as a young kid. I've told you about when I was in Hebrew school asking, why don't we believe in Jesus? You don't ask that in Hebrew school. Bad question. Because we're Jewish. Okay. Maybe for everybody else that worked. That didn't work for me. I've never been a conformist. I've always asked those uncomfortable questions. They, they've cost me dearly o- over time. But they've also given me rewards beyond measure. I was the fool who asked, so what? Jesus died on a cross. How do you even know? And if you could know, so what? We've got to ask that question. Because if we don't know so what, it's not going to matter much to us, is it? Now back to Barabbas. Let's go and, and join him in the dirt, looking up on Golgotha. He sees Jesus pierced with a spear. And out comes blood and water. What happened was they hit the heart sack. And when a body was dead, liquid that looked very much like water settled. Blood comes out, the water comes out, there's your sure sign of death. Jesus was taken down. He was taken away to be buried, but Barabbas stayed there. And he watched as the cross was lowered down, and he saw the blood drying on the beams, and he just stared. And he thought back, not too long before that moment, they gave Jesus a drink on a sponge. And it was so bizarre to Barabbas' eyes. Do you know what they put that sponge on? A hyssop branch. And Barabbas had this weird image come to mind of an event that took place a long time ago, the first Passover, which this was a celebration of. And Do you know what he saw? He saw Jewish fathers painting the doorposts of their house with lamb's blood. And do you know what they painted with? A hyssop branch. And as he saw that branch with the sponge laying on the ground with blood upon it, of the guy who died in his place, all of a sudden he had this image of not a man dying on the cross, but a lamb being slaughtered as he heard the bleeding in the background of the preparation. And Barabbas just sat there. Now ultimately, we don't know what happened with Barabbas. Not an idea. Maybe he's in heaven. Maybe he's not. But I can make a a bold assumption of what he didn't do next. Barabbas did not leave that spot in the dirt and come back to to the prison 
What do you want? Um, can you let me back in? What? I want to die on the cross. I want to be flogged and, and crucified and die. Just like that, please. What? Yeah. I don't want to be out here. I want to go back in there and be beaten and mocked and ridiculed and, and crucified, please. Do you think that's what Barabbas did? He'd be a fool. Of course he didn't do that. Well, here's what Jesus did. He came down. We've read of his life for the previous 42 weeks in the Gospel of John. We have seen him in the beginning. We have learned that he, was, he is eternal. We saw him turn water to wine and heal people and restore sight and bring sight back and teach and meet with a Jewish leader, a teacher of the Jews under cover of darkness. We'll see him again next week. We've seen him come and dine with sinners. We've seen him rebuke the religious leaders. We've seen who Jesus is up to this point. And now we see him with Barabbas on a cross, killed. Why? So what? It's what he came to do. For you and I to understand what's so awesome about being a Christian, what's so awesome about being called a friend of God, we have to understand who we were apart from Christ. We can't get excited about our faith. We're going to go out and share our faith like this. Yeah, so I know this stuff intellectually down pat. Jesus really lived, really died. I can prove it to you. And you have to believe in him to go to heaven. You want to believe? And people look at us, and they're, they're usually a little kinder with their words, but they're not going to say, so what? They go, oh, I'll think about it. What do you want a piece of that for? Well, what, what's so awesome about that? Where, where does the joy come from in our lives? Well, it comes from starting with the beginning. You and I were rotting in a prison cell. We're so blind and deaf, we didn't even know it. And then God came down, took on the very form of a man, lived in time amongst us, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross because he took our place. Do you understand that? I think one of the reasons we don't is we don't spend enough time sitting next to Barabbas looking at the empty cross. I think one of the problems we have is we're so busy going through life that we don't focus where we should focus. Behind us, somewhere in the distance, where we never turn around to look very often, is an empty cross and an empty tomb. But we're so busy pursuing our stuff that we fail to stop and slow down and think. Maybe this week, maybe every week, maybe every day, we should dedicate some time to sitting down next to Barabbas and think about where we were apart from Christ, what our fate was, and why he did what he did. And then it gets even more amazing. Why would he do that? What does that mean? What do I do as a result? When you understand what it is you have been freed from, not captivity until the day of your, your physical death, but eternal separation from God, not freed to live out the remainder of your days, but freed for all of eternity, and not just freed, restored to a proper relationship with God, forgiven of all your sins, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, able to call Jesus, who was your enemy, a friend, because he first called you friend. This begins to get mind-boggling. It's crazy. And it's what is true. The more fully we reflect on that, the more fully we understand that, 
the more unable we will be to trust and rejoice and love Jesus. You see, my job, your job, isn't to go out and simply convince people of what we know and tell them that they should believe it too. Now, there's an aspect of reasoning with people and and debating. Read through Acts. Look what Paul did on his journeys. But do you know why Paul did it? Because Paul knew where he had been freed from. When you look at Paul's life, the man ended up beaten, stoned, shipwrecked in prisons. You know all the bad things that went for him. But he rejoiced always. You know why? Because the physical prison he sat in, like Barabbas sat in, didn't mean a whole heck of a lot. Because it was a temporary earthly location in preparation for eternity for which he had been freed to enjoy. And as Paul understood that, it all became about Jesus. And some people thought he was crazy, but some people looked at him and they saw God's light shine through him because he truly rejoiced, because he truly understood the cross. Here's where I'll leave you today. I don't know how we are on time, but I think I'm real short, so no clapping if I am. Here's where I'm going to leave you today. I'm going to leave you next to Barabbas, sitting on the ground, looking up at Golgotha. Nobody's up there anymore. The cross is lowered back down. I'm going to leave you sitting with Barabbas as you watch the body taken away. I'm going to leave you sitting with Barabbas, where for three days a body lay in a tomb, only to rise again. I'm going to leave you with Barabbas just to look, to slow down, to stop and think. Think back to the prison cell we all dwelt as enemies of God. Look up to the cross with the blood on it shed for you. And stop and think, what do I do with this? What's the big deal? So what? And as we grasp that, life changes. As we understand who the man was who died on that cross for us and why he died and what it means that he loves us, his commands become a blessing rather than a burden. We're able to do it all joyfully as we understand his sovereignty in light of that and that he is in control of everything. You can wake up with a smile every single day, no matter what. You can look forward to tomorrow because you know he's in control of it. And we have the proper perspective of what we're called to in this life and what eternal life is all about. So stop. Slow down a little bit. Look up. Look at the empty cross. And ask yourself, so what? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. What a pathetically weak word, but I thank you for the fact that you freed us from captivity. I thank you for the fact that though we were your enemies, that we had egregiously broken your law and mocked you and laughed at you and committed spiritual adultery time and time again. You pursued us. You saved us. You loved us. And you continue to. I thank you for the fact that through the cross you don't see us as dirty people who have been forgiven, but people who have been washed clean through the blood of Christ. That you don't see us in our sin, but you see us cleansed through the work of Christ. And God, I pray you would give us perspective. I pray you would allow us to sit on the ground next to Barabbas and look at that cross and weep and and rejoice all at the same time. That you would allow us to more fully understand the incredible, awesome, unfathomable, so what, of that cross. That you would help us not stop with the glance at the cross, but get our eyes over to the tomb three days later. 
that we would then look at Christ risen from the dead, ascended to heaven, and sit back down expectantly awaiting his return, and then get up and live the lives you call us to because we understand who you are, who we are, and what you've done for us. And God, as you give us the ability to grasp that more fully, as you empower us with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, that you would set us free into this world to do mighty works in your name, for your glory, and through your strength. But God, start with us on the ground with Barabbas before the cross. Help, help teach us. Help counsel us. Help us understand. So what? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.